how do you get used to murdering people? What are you talking murder? You see, you don't understand. Let me tell you something. Any punk we hit deserve to be hit. What do you think? We just went around shooting people. What do you think? It was like a two-bit hoodlum, some maniac. He goes into a liquor store, $20 heist, right away, take out the guns. No, let me... You see, any guy that we hit, he asked to be hit. Not we wanted to hit him. We had to hit him. Let me tell you. As long as you stayed in line, nobody ever went after you. Hello, and welcome to the Lone Acting Nominees Podcast, a show where I'm joined each week by a guest to discuss a movie that only received one Oscar nomination, that being for one of its performances. We'll talk about the performance in question, the movie as a whole, and its place in the Oscar race, among other things. I'm Gordon McNulty, and this week I am joined once again by Audrey Cornell to discuss Peter Falk's Oscar-nominated performance in the 1960 film Murder, Inc., or Murder, Incorporated, either way. Uh, Audrey, good to have you back on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so uh, tell me about what drew you to this movie uh, in particular. Well, I'm a huge Peter Falk fan, and um, I was surprised that he was nominated for this one um, because I've never heard anyone ever talk about this movie. Yeah. And I mean, I can sort of see why, but it's interesting to see him so young I think it was his, well, he got an introducing credit, but I think it was his second movie ever. And yeah. he's already like the Peter Falk we know and love. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, I was reading a little bit of like backstory for his career leading up to this point because I, I didn't really know that much of his like early career. And it's a lot of like, you know, there he had like a, uh, uh, he had done a lot of stuff before he started acting. Uh, and there's some interesting like anecdotes of his getting his start in acting and doing stage work and then making his way into movies and having this breakthrough uh, pretty early on in in like his actual acting career uh, in films. So uh, that's it, it, it was an interesting look at the very start of his career. Um, yeah. A uh, funny little accidental back to back pairing here because last week I did Street Smart, which was also like a big breakthrough for Morgan Freeman, also playing. Oh, yeah. I mean, like a, a different type of criminal, but also playing a criminal in a uh, maybe a, a bit of spoilers for my thoughts on this movie. <laughs> good performance in a not very good movie. Uh, yeah. So a, a little little bit of accidental programming there. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, this was also my first time watching it. Uh, Probably also my last time watching it. Uh, not because it's particularly bad. It's just not that much of a movie in general. So uh, uh, I'm sure we'll find things to talk about. So we are talking about Murder, Inc. from 1960, directed by Burt Balaban and Stuart Rosenberg. Uh, in a, in a, there was like a SAG strike partway through production. And so Rosenberg uh. left. And Balaban, who was the producer, uh, stepped in and directed the rest of it. So maybe that speaks to something could, or other. Yeah. Written by Mel Barr and Irv Tunick, based on the uh, true crime book by Burton Turkis and Sid Feeder. Uh, Burton Turkis, who's a character in this movie as well, uh, which is an interesting perspective, I guess, to <laughs> to uh, to have that. I don't know. Uh, it stars Stuart Whitman, Mae Britt, Henry Morgan, Peter Falk, David J. Stewart, Simon Oakland, Eli Mintz, Joseph Bernard. Uh, you also have, like, apparently Sylvia Miles is in this movie at some point uh, in her film debut. Sarah Vaughn, Vincent Gardenia, Seymour Cassell was apparently an extra. Uh, I didn't notice. I didn't either. Is uncredited <laughs> extra as teenager. Um, okay. There's... There were a few different IMDb trivia items that said that Diane Ladd is also in this movie in oh. her film debut, but I couldn't find anything else to corroborate that mm -hmm. other than like one piece of trivia. So may may, may or may not have Diane Ladd. Who knows? Uh, movie opened June 28th, 1960. Uh, and that's really all there is to say ab about <laughs> that. Like this wasn't a movie that people particularly saw didn't get particularly good reviews outside of Peter Falk, who we're here to talk about. Uh, just sort of seems like it came and went and then happens to have gotten this little Oscar nomination, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But let's start off talking about Peter Falk, who I, almost all of the notes I wrote are about him. I wrote very few notes about the rest of the movie. But uh, what are your like initial thoughts on this performance here? I mean, 
it's a lot different than I'm used to from him, like quite reserved and not particularly comedic. So it was cool to see that side of him sort of doing like a James Cagney type gangster. Definitely. And he's really good. The movie definitely suffers when he's not in it, which I feel like is the sign of a good screen presence. Right off the bat, this is not a uh, supporting performance. He gets the supporting actor nomination, but like he is, I would wager probably even in more of the movie than Stuart Whitman is. It certainly feels like it. Like Whitman, I know is the quote unquote driving force of whatever this story is, but like he doesn't really do all that much. He doesn't have much of a drive other than not wanting to get killed by the mob. Mm -hmm. Uh, It really feels like this is Falk's movie. And part Mm. of that is because he's the most interesting performer in it. And part of it is just because he has so much to do. And even in the scenes where he doesn't have much to do, he still does a lot with it. He's a very, it's a very interesting mode for him. Like you said, It, it doesn't feel like your usual Peter Falk. And part of that is because this is still establishing what a Peter Falk performance is going to look like. But like, he doesn't make this character like, so charming that you're entirely on his side and like rooting for him as this bad guy that you want to see get away with it. He doesn't make him too evil. Like he does some terrible stuff in this, but he doesn't carry himself as like, just like a, he's not menacing necessarily. He's, he's, it's a weird little balance of like, he doesn't go too far to one or the other. He's just very laid back, very reserved, very Mm -hmm. aloof. Like, like he doesn't really feel like, Outside of a handful of scenes where he kind of blows up, he feels kind of very just like lackadaisical about everything. Like, yeah, like none of this is facing him in a very interesting way. I felt. Yeah, I think he's good at that. He's just being so chill almost that it feels like he's not trying very hard. I don't know how purposeful that was on his part. I mean, it seems (laughs) like he was kind of that kind of guy. Uh, Yeah. Uh. Because he he didn't come from a necessarily professional acting background. There was one anecdote that I found on his Wikipedia that I really liked, which is that he was uh, taking acting classes under uh, Yves Le Gallienne. And it was like a very prestigious acting course. And, you know, you had to have whatever professional chops to be in the class. And he lied about that. He said he was a professional (laughs) actor uh, when he wasn't. And he, like, lived, like pretty far from where the classes were and kept showing up late and like in Hudson or something. And there was a, at a time where she confronted him and was like, Hey, why are you showing up late to all these classes? And he says, Oh, well, I, it's cause I live up in Hudson and it's far away. And she goes, what, why, why do you live there? There's no, like, pr- there's not really an acting scene up there. How do you, how do you, you know, what do you do for work? And he goes, Oh, well, I'm not a professional actor. And she just goes, well, you should be it's very good. Like, <laughs> Uh, you know, just showing that uh, he had the talent from that early on in his career, that he was recognized uh, as that he should be a professional actor. And that's like before he's even in movies. Um, but that seems like kind of like a, a, a good sort of encapsulation of the Peter Falk style, the very like mm-hmm. laid back wanting it, but not from like a very like not theater kid energy. Uh, yeah, if, if, just kind of a regular yeah. guy. Very much kind of a regular guy, which makes this character so much more interesting because he's not like an Edward G. Robinson, like big stereotypical gangster. He just feels like a regular guy and he'll feel like a regular guy in a scene up until he's charging at someone and like shanking them in the stomach. And it really makes it an unnerving presence that he has in that first like 40 minutes where he's basically in every scene of the movie and is sometimes charming and sometimes intimidating and sometimes just like hanging back on a scene and like haunting the screen is very, very yeah. intimidating presence without doing much to actually intimidate you. That's true. Uh, like, I mean, in that opening scene, he doesn't have any dialogue. It's just like a, an entirely silent opening hit where he's just sort of like walking through this apartment with this other guy. Uh, he like, like wipes some dust off a light bulb or whatever. <laughs> And then stabs the guy and then leaves. And uh, you get a lot of that character just in the way that Falk like meanders through the screen. It's, a, it's very fun to just watch him in this movie. Uh, yeah. And part of that is because not 
<laughs> much else in this movie is uh, all that interesting, but he does a really good job with making mm -hmm. this character interesting and compelling. Yeah. I think it's interesting that his other Oscar nomination was for another gangster um, in what was the movie? The... Uh, uh, the, what's it called? <laughs> I haven't seen it, but uh, um, it's the next year. Yeah. Uh, a pocket full of miracles or something yes yeah right. yeah have you have you seen that one i yes i have i'm not sure why he was nominated for that either it just seems like two very random type movies um but either way i think he does a good gangster where he doesn't feel like stereotypical yeah. or like a caricature um which i think is important if you really want to feel threatened yeah by the character especially at this point in hollywood where at this point we're like almost a decade removed from streetcar named desire and brando like bringing the the more re realistic method acting to mainstream audiences and you can't really get away with pulling off like a uh big cagney or robinson type gangster and so you have to like sort of redefine what that genre can be and it's a genre that by 1960 is mostly dying out and so mm -hmm. falk is like kind of bringing a breath of fresh air to how you would portray a gangster and make them interesting make them a character in this movie that is mostly populated with quote-unquote characters like nobody in yeah. this is going big is going for the like old hollywood type of crime movie um, I haven't seen the original or, uh, original or whatever. The other <laughs> movie from 1951 with Humphrey Bogart. I don't remember the name of it, but it's also okay. a, about the the Murder, Inc. like crime syndicate and, and story that yeah. apparently does sort of fabricate things and make that bigger and more more of a Hollywood story. So I, I, I don't know how well that fares, but. Uh, I don't even remember the name of that one, so uh, it, it's not a <laughs> not movie memorable. that we're still talking about uh, yeah. by any means. Uh, but yeah, it, it's just an interesting like. Uh, he does have a few moments in this where he does go big that are mm -hmm. uh, very well measured throughout the movie. There's the the, the scene when he's bringing Stuart Whitman and uh, Edie uh, May Britt is the actress there, I think. Uh, bringing them to the apartment that's like the, the apartment with all the the like fronted stolen goods uh, mm -hmm. and he's trying to give that to them I don't really remember why he's just, he just does it I guess yeah I'm sure there's a plot reason but I had kind I of didn't checked catch out. it yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and he's like trying to give that to them I guess to like smooth things over to, to get his silence maybe because he's a uh, uh, not exactly the most uh, cooperative uh, uh, accomplice or whatever. Uh, and he like starts yelling at them uh, about, you know, he takes what he, like I take what I want to take. And he like throws the glass at the wall. And it's like the only time he really even raises his voice beyond the very laid back chill Peter Falk voice. And it's, it's a, mm -hmm. uh, it's intimidating. It works. Yeah, it it really, startling. yeah. Uh, because you don't have that for the first hour and 15 minutes of the movie or however long it's been at that mm -hmm. point. It it makes you st like standard attention. It, it's uh, it's good stuff. Yeah. I uh, feel like the rest of the actors, while some they do have some good parts, it doesn't there's not a lot to work with, I think. For yeah. Peter Falk, because I think he kind of needs someone to play off of in a more exciting way. Yeah. Like, I feel like he just kind of was struggling to get any sort of reaction from, because even in that scene, like, they don't do anything. They kind of just stare at him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Whitman is uh, uh, certainly outacted by Falk in, in yeah. a lot of their scenes together, which does hurt the movie because th those scenes could be much more interesting if you have mm -hmm. a more compelling lead. Uh, uh, but yeah, Falk does as good as he can acting against uh, scene partners that aren't really matching his level of, of really anything. Uh, yeah. Uh, what other moments? Uh, I do like Mae Britt, though. I thought yeah. she was good. 
yeah, she I like her not as well. given to um, like enough to do, which I think was disappointing. But the scenes between the two of them were very tense and uncomfortable, and yeah. I wasn't sure what was going to happen next. So I thought they did a good job with that. Um, yes, yeah, she's. Just- out of the rest of the cast, she's the the only other one I had really anything to say about. And she does a good job, uh, especially in her scenes with him, as, like, the only person really pushing back against him as an actor and as a, a character. Like, yeah. the only one that is really giving him anything uh, uh, that he's giving back, uh, which, like, unlocks a little bit more to his performance because you see what it would be like if it was flourishing in a more... Uh, cultivated environment of a movie uh yeah uh what other things i i didn't really take all that many notes <laughs> oh uh, the, i was speaking of their scenes together the scene where he like attacks her in the apartment it's, and it's implied that he like uh sexually assaults her she's like backing away into the bedroom and is like being big and like terrified obviously and he's just like sauntering over to her and it really like is like maybe the most chill he ever looks in the movie, just so casually approaching her. It's really, it's maybe the most unnerving that this movie ever gets outside of, spoiler alert, uh, later on when she ends up getting killed as well. Like, I mean, I don't want to say you gotta hand it to this movie for its depiction of violence against women, but it's, like, there's other moments of violence in this movie that don't at all feel like anything like they Mm -hmm. they feel very stagey and those moments at least feel like they're achieving the more naturalistic feeling that the movie's going for Mm -hmm. it's a shame that it's only those parts but like yeah it's at least the movie evoking a feeling that it doesn't really get elsewhere in its more quote-unquote gritty uh Mm -hmm. like crime scenes uh but i think it has to do with um Edie was her character name right yeah um just how much we are able to identify with her because she doesn't want her husband Joey to be involved in the scene and I mean I have to agree with her like yeah I don't know how he even got there they don't really explain how he and Peter Falk knew each other he just owes him money as okay it's it's just like a basic like I owe you money and Falk is like, well, I'll erase all your debts if you help me go kill this guy that I just got told I have to go kill. Uh, which is a good scene because it, it's an interesting, like, yeah. the scene before that is Falk basically being brought into Murder, Inc. and being told, hey, you work for us now, you work with us now, and you have to go kill this guy. And he's kind of, I mean, he, he's more low status in that scene because he's being brought on as mm-hmm. like a new assassin. And then the immediate next scene is him bringing Whitman in and being like, hey, you're going to go kill this guy with me. And he is now that same status, like the the higher status character bringing in this other guy. But uh, uh, sorry. Yeah. Back to what you were saying uh, (laughs) about uh, about them. Yeah, I think it's just like she's the one character who is sympathetic and so it's a shame that she has to suffer the most. And I think Joey is supposed to learn something from her suffering, which I don't know if I, I mean, I don't like that the movie frames it that way. Yeah. Um, Especially after she's raped and he's like, oh, this sucks for me. <laughs> like, I don't know. Is this such yeah. a strange reaction? And like, we're supposed to be rooting for this guy. It, it's a really weird, like, and also from what I read, that part was, like, fabricated to a degree. And in okay. reality, it was the folks' character's girlfriend who was assaulted and, and raped oh. by other gangsters, which I think, if I if I read this correctly, is what is, like, part of what led him to turn on Murder, Inc. And, like... Okay. Which, like... That would make... Yeah, tell his sense. story. It, it, yeah. This movie would be so much better if it just had the the commitment to just be the Abrellis story. Yeah. Like it, no one it's, cares about Joey. <laughs> yeah. Who I I don't even know if that was a real guy. I, I don't, don't know think if he that, was. It's entirely possible that that's just like a fabricated like even in 1960 we can't really tell a story of 
about a gang. Like, we can't have the yeah. gangster be the lead. We have to have this other guy that can be our protagonist, which is, uh, I think, my, my my biggest issue with this movie is the fact that it exists and was told as a Hollywood story in 1960 means that later on, like, at so many points, I was wishing that this could have been, like, done in... I, I, I mean, I don't want to be the guy being like, oh, well, it's a gangster movie. It should have been a Martin Scorsese movie. But, like, just imagine Scorsese's version of this story, which is on its face a fascinating, like, secret massive crime syndicate of a bunch of different, like, organized crime groups coming together to form a giant organized crime, like, banking system, basically. Yeah. That could have been really interesting. And this movie isn't as interested in, like, any of the parts of that story that are interesting outside of, like, hinting at the the Abrilis, like, uh, turning on the on Murder Inc., which is like the last ten minutes of this movie, maybe mm-hmm. is him, uh, turning state's witness, ratting out uh everyone, and then getting thrown out of a window, uh, yeah. <laughs> which it, and then it just ends, and then yeah, there's like there's no a minute conclusion. left of the movie, uh, which is a real shame because there's yeah. so many little bits and pieces there that could have been. Could have made for a much more interesting movie than the movie we actually got, uh, but Peter Falk innocent is what all is. Yeah, maybe my last thoughts on him already. Like I, he's good. The the mm-hmm. whole the the like monologue of him telling the cops about everything and giving his uh, his ethos about you know like any of those murders we did we did because the guys had it coming. They were asking for it by being you know, by turning on us or whatever. And it feels all throughout that, like, Falk is, uh, does genuinely believe all that stuff. Uh, Mm -hmm. But, like, I don't have that much more to say about his performance. (laughs) It's a good performance in a bad move, in in an uninteresting, a a bland movie. Yeah. Uh, But it's worth watching for him. It's all on YouTube. It's only, like, an hour 40 or something. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's worth watching for his performance at the very least. Yeah. Uh, is there anything? Oh, the one of the like, not about the performance, but just looking down mm-hmm. at my notes. Uh, uh, with this nomination here, he's the first person, or at least the first actor, uh, to be nominated for an Oscar and an Emmy in the same year. So, uh, oh, interesting for you, Peter Falk. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's I think my my last thoughts on him. Do you have anything else you want to say about him before we move on to the rest of the movie? In as much <laughs> as we have anything to say about the rest of the movie. Um. Let me check. I mean, I think it's a good introduction to his career. Yeah. Like he's basically bursting onto the scene, but I think he improves as the years go on. I don't oh, think yeah. he thrived very well in this Hollywood system. So I think it's good that he kind of came into it later on. But yeah. if I had to recommend like one of his mob movies or whatever i would say mikey and nikki is yeah just incredible and (laughs) the story is a little similar in some ways there's there's thematic uh uh resonance (laughs) there's yeah you can find some parallels here and there uh yeah. yeah it just feels very like not that he's boxed in totally but i think when he was able to really play a pretty bad person or a really funny person that's later on i think that's sort of his golden era oh definitely yeah yeah this is a i mean if you want a good peter falk performance or movie or if you want to just like watch peter falk having fun this isn't the one that i would point you towards he's good in it but like there's so much better out there there's obviously all of columbo uh (laughs) at your fingertips there's uh like he's he's one of like the first actors that I remember like knowing by name, which is a That's like cool. I, I was one of those kids <laughs> that, like, oh yeah, Peter Falk, I know who that is from like uh uh Princess Bride yeah. and uh, Murder by Death was a movie I watched a bunch as a kid, which is a <laughs> real problematic favorite of uh, uh, that movie. But he's he's so good in that. He's so fun and mm-hmm. charming in that and uh yeah, he's just uh, one of those actors that uh, 
even in something like this, he's uh he's he's doing a good job and it's it's fun to see him. Yeah, I agree. All right, with that, uh let's <laughs> move on and quote unquote talk about the rest of the movie. It was the mid thirties. The country was just climbing out of the depression. Who had time to wonder or even care about an assassination group in Brooklyn? An operation that was building a name for itself. The name, Murder Incorporated. The Murder Incorporated boys were issued scores of contracts by the syndicate, and the business at hand was executed with neatness and finesse. A word from the syndicate would send the boys winging north, south, or west. So quick was the operation, so smooth the technique, that often before the body of the victim could be identified, the imported killers were well out of town. Slowly, the public became aware of this new crime conspiracy. Their demand for action brought on the appointment of Thomas E. Dewey as special prosecutor. Dewey stunned the gang lords with a steady barrage of subpoenas. Some ran. Others decided to brazen it out before the grand jury. Uh, half of my notes, maybe even more than half of my notes on the rest of the movie are... Uh, uh, just like things I read on IMDb that weren't actually <laughs> things about the movie or just like very superficial, like the thing about the SAG strike. Uh, Robert Evans, the like producer, uh, mm -hmm. at this point in his career was still just like a, an actor and he was offered the Peter Falk role and he turned oh. it down because it wasn't the lead. Uh, and then... Well, good for us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Peter Falk. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um uh one of my notes is literally just i don't care about any of the rest of this movie <laughs> uh one of them is that the youtube upload of this for like five seconds had the tcm watermark on it which i thought was funny uh and then i have four other notes so uh do you have anything okay. else you want to uh, start off with us talking about um I, let's see yeah i kind of was just often found myself writing like that there's not a lot to grasp onto. Like I had a hard time figuring out like who all the characters were yeah. and how they knew each other. Like they didn't really explain anything at all. It just sort of like bounced between characters. Like who are we going to focus on for this 20 minutes? Um, Cause then in the middle, they focus on uh, Lepke who's like one of the major gangsters. And I'm just like, why are we supposed to care about this guy? Like, And then he's not in the rest of the movie. So I just was kind of confused, I guess, as to like what we were supposed to get out of this. And like the cops are kind of in it a little bit. They sort of start off like being antagonists, but then by the end, it's like, no, the cops are good and they're catching all these bad guys. Um. Yeah, it just really bounced between too many different things, and I just didn't. I wasn't that interested, I guess. Yeah, which is uh, it's not what you want from a big sprawling crime epic. Uh, no. to have all of the interconnected bits feel not really all that connected. Like Lepke was. Uh, I know he's like the boss at the beginning that hires Relis. Uh, Wikipedia tells me he was one of the heads of Murder Inc. Uh, at a certain point in the movie, yeah, he's just now living also in this uh, uh, front apartment, I guess. And then... Yeah, how did he get there? <laughs> I think I think it's a thing, and this is also from, I think, scouring the Wikipedia plot summary more so than me learning it in the movie, because uh, at a certain point just kind of wasn't paying attention <laughs> because the movie didn't get my it attention. It didn't tell you anything. It, there's like a trial or like a like someone's trying to prosecute him so they're just mm -hmm. hiding him there i guess and then something something there's a hit out on everyone i don't know who ordered the hit <laughs> i don't know why that hit was ordered it's not like again to bring it back to scorsese like goodfellas that big hit at the end where like you have the layla montage and you're seeing all those bodies we know why that hit happened it's because those people are spending the money that they got from the big uh score and it's like to send a message about that 
there's like a montage in this movie where you're seeing a bunch of dead bodies and a bunch of people either getting executed or recently been executed. And I don't really know why. All I know is that that happens and then they use that as a reason to get Peter Falk to turn witness and, and to, to spill everything. Uh, and I, the like the movie seems kind of not all that interested in the the interplay of the actual crime, which I get that that like you didn't get that as often in crime in like organized crime movies of this time. Mm-hmm. That sort of comes about in the new Hollywood era, but like this movie is so uninterested in all of that like interplay that it it really hurts the movie as a whole. Because if it's not interested in the story it's telling, why am I supposed to be? <laughs> uh, and yeah, I, I, the movie also isn't helped by being based on a book by the cop that mm-hmm. this movie that like is in this movie is a character in this movie. Uh, other notes I have: uh, the the scene where Edie is talking to the cops and is uh, like. Because that's sort of what pushes a lot of things in the second act is her deciding to talk and then Joey decides to talk but she recants what she said and then they end up using them both as bait to get Peter Falk to talk. I don't really know. Uh, but there is a scene, so, yeah. <laughs> there's a scene where she goes in and is telling what little she knows and I thought she did a good job with that. Uh, other notes, she's dead. Uh, which I did think was a, a, a well yeah. done scene. Uh, mm-hmm. The tension is built well, where you see like there's like a long shot of her walking down a pier, and then you see like the shadow of someone walking under the pier, like alongside her. I thought that was a a, a good shot in a movie that's mostly not all that like interested in aesthetics. That was a good yeah. a good visual thing to throw in there. Um, and my other note, my my last <laughs> note. Uh, is a- another like little aesthetic thing that the movie does that I thought was interesting that the movie doesn't really do otherwise is in the scene where uh, Falk is raping her, it cuts immediately to like a train and like the screeching sound of the train is overlaid over her and then it uh, cuts to the train. And I thought that was, that was a little thing like, oh, here's a little bit of flair that this movie has that makes it feel like a movie more so than a documentary. Like there's so many points where it just cuts to like glorified show. <laughs> yeah. And like narration, uh, like yeah. narration in the first person from the perspective of the cop of like, and then we got this guy and then this guy did this other thing. And we were <laughs> on his trail, but we just missed him. Uh, like to the point that it ends with uh uh, and then Lepke got caught and we electrocuted him and he's the first and only person out of Murder, Inc. that faced faced the death sentence. And uh, I could and be misremembering, but it, kill them all or something. it, it feels it like he's really saying dark. like it feels like he's like, if you know anything about all this, call your local police or else this is going to keep happening again and again and again. And then smash cut to credits yeah. after again and again and again uh <laughs> that's all i have written about the movie <laughs> truly at some point i gotta get you on here to talk about a movie we actually like because so yeah. far the track record with this and the luck of the irish is, not good uh, not not great at least yeah. we had more things to say about the luck of the irish <laughs> which yeah, is wild because like i feel so like so uneventful yeah like, there's just a lot of talking and about. a lot of uninteresting talking yeah i i i don't i truly have nothing to say about Stuart whitman in this movie he was Uh, so bland yeah (laughs) hopefully i have more to say because i i will eventually be doing his i think his only oscar nomination okay uh, for the mark which seems at least on the premise to be an interesting movie it seems like a like a a much darker movie especially for its era i'm very curious to see how it handles the subject matter of that one uh hopefully it's better yeah hopefully (laughs) i will have more to say about him and his him as an actor there because i don't know if i've seen him in anything else and uh this performance didn't impress me i'll say that Uh, i was wondering why they didn't try at all to make it look like the 30s yeah (laughs) 
I like, didn't think about that, but yeah. May Britt has 60s hair and makeup. <laughs> and even like the costumes weren't Yeah, the costumes 30s. are very modern. The uh the the like cars and the uh-huh. buildings. Uh I won't, what was the budget of this movie? Yeah, I can't I imagine like very much. Very low. Uh, 750,000 in 1960. Okay. How much is that today? Uh, uh, seven million, seven point eight million. Okay. So, uh, yeah. I, I don't. Where did they spend that? Like, <laughs> I, I don't know because it's not like any of these actors are particularly big because, like, mm-hmm. like this is also a breakout for Stuart Whitman as well. Okay. Apparently, uh, Henry Morgan, who plays the the lead cop, was like a a comic or something. Okay. Uh, that is playing dramatic here or maybe that was J- david j stewart one of those two was a comic i think <laughs> i read um because like like I, I was reading the the wikipedia page for this has reviews from the time which were mostly like uh n- it's an okay not great movie <laughs> that peter falk is good in uh mm-hmm. everyone else is kind of just like fine um uh what else here that's interesting um, i thought that then yeah as uh, well yeah. the the bosley crowther review uh <laughs> i'm just reading from wikipedia uh, yeah. he he dismissed the film as a quote new screen telling of an old story uh singled out Falk's amusingly vicious performance uh when he appears there's a certain dark frightfulness and terror but otherwise the traffic is that of an average gangster film that slacks off too much for proper tension and runs a great deal too long which for a uh, movie that's like an hour 40 not that long yeah y- you don't want to be called uh, a great deal too long uh, yeah i mean i agree with all of that yeah i feel uh, like peter falk um was oh that reminds me of the scene when i don't know who killed peter falk in this but somebody. the scene when someone goes to kill him and we get that like point of view shot i thought that was really cool yeah yeah, it, it's an interesting like watching him wake up and then mm-hmm. uh, that's immediately ruined by the hard cut of that dummy flying right out that window. That was so bad. <laughs> it's not very good dummy work, which no. like I, I guess for 1960 it's fine, but like it's, yeah, it's just flailing. You can yeah, you can, yeah, the legs are <laughs> yeah. But I thought it was cool. He looked, I mean, he almost looked a bit childish. Like yeah. he just seems so surprised. Um, how old actually would he have been i i hadn't thought about that i'll I'll look that up while you keep talking (laughs) okay but i feel like his his uh character had a lot of potential to bring maybe some of that like psychological exploration because he doesn't seem like he really wants to be a hitman um but he definitely like takes pleasure in it at the same time yeah it's a if this had been more of like a character study of him uh it would have been more interesting to get at some of those but on the other hand like it is an interesting sort of like unknowable presence uh Mm -hmm. where where you don't really know what he wants uh yeah just that he's he's there and he's very comfortable doing what he's doing and doesn't really have much of a moral uh uh opposition to it i looked it up he was 33 which Okay. Uh, tracks. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, speaking of the scene where he gets thrown out the window, yeah. the, there's a uh, 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 IMDb trivia under the spoilers, which is not trivia about the movie. Uh, okay. Which is Wikipedia uses the quaint term defenestration, the act of throwing someone or something out of a window to describe Abe Rellis's cause of death. IMDb, that's not trivia. That is noting word choice in the <laughs> Wikipedia plot summary for a thing that happens in the movie. That's not trivia. Yeah. What? That's wild. <laughs> and he like hit the camera too. Yeah. It's a so it's, it's it's pretty wild. It really uh under <laughs> undercuts the the drama of the scene, which yeah. it does sort of earn some of that back with the next scene where you have the cops like talking about it because whoever threw him mm-hmm. out uh apparently like tied some bed sheets 
out the window to make it look like he was trying to escape and fell, uh, which I did see some like headlines from the time that also claimed that, that claimed that he was trying to escape and fell. But like, that's not a, like a what? Six story window and he used yeah, one bed sheet. Yeah, you can't climb up that. Yeah. yeah. It, it's not a very believable cover and it is interesting. It, it's kind of a fun scene to watch the cops like pretend, like, like sort of like almost jokingly be like, Oh well, why would he climb out the window? Why? He, surely he knew just one bed sheet wouldn't have made him all the way. Before they're like, yeah, no, this was this is the cover up. Uh, but that was at least an, a a kind of interesting thing the movie was doing that was yeah based in real life. So I can't even give the movie <laughs> credit for it. Really, uh, do you think it was Joey? I don't. I doubt it. I was probably just some other just just some... nameless gangster. Yeah. Uh, although that could have been an interesting twist if, if yeah. it was a payback of, of some sort. Uh, I don't know. I am surprised we even managed to talk this much about <laughs> the movie in general. Uh, not the worst I've done by kind okay. of a long, a large margin. Cause I've done some, some real bad ones on this, <laughs> part. but uh, certainly one of the less interesting certainly one of the movies I've had the least to say about it. Uh, but do you have anything else you want to say about this movie? Uh, or do you want to move on to some Oscar stuff? Um, I guess, yeah, I have like one last thing. And it's mostly about Edie because I feel like she had a lot of potential to be an interesting character. Yeah. Um, but then she just kind of fell victim to being like the the 60s, uh, damsel kind of like serves as a plot point for the male characters yes thing. the the girlfriend um, character yeah that's sort of in and out um uh one other thing about her also um yeah i, I don't know anything about may Britt as an actress but i would imagine based on her introduction scene she's more of an actress than she is a singer and dancer because <laughs> it's like she's like a showgirl uh mm-hmm. in like a group and in that they do like a whole song and dance number and uh, all the other dancers around her are hitting the the moves a lot better and like more in sync than she is. <laughs> and it feels kind of like they were trying to, you know, teach an actress to dance more so than to teach a dancer mm-hmm. to act. Uh, although I don't or know. Are they I, trying to make her look bad at it? Because I feel like that was the theme was like Joey was it is possible. always saying, making fun of her dancing for some reason. <laughs> I mean, if if so... Good on them because it, it was yeah. certainly notable uh, that she's uh, outclassed by her other dancers. Mm-hmm. That also, that also, that number got to a weird point in it where halfway through it feels like the singing is entirely out of sync with the music. Yeah, uh, that which, was a weird number. Yeah, I, and he I, showed I, the whole thing. The whole thing. They really did. Yeah, yeah. Got to pad out that runtime so that Bosley Crowther can call it too long. <laughs> I have nothing else to say okay. here. Uh, do you have a- any last thoughts? What? Well, yeah. Like, why was she? They kind of knew she was going to get murdered. I feel like they just let her leave the no, she, building at the end. The the one like guard cop said that like, oh, she she escaped or something, or she left. Or but then like the the cops that are actually aware of the case go after her but it's too late yeah it is a weird okay. like they, they, they just let her go yeah even it, joey it, knows she's gonna leave like yeah I don't know. <laughs> it is kind of the movie just like well we need to have her get killed uh so mm-hmm. i guess this cop is just gonna let her leave yeah it, it is yeah there, there is no point to that other than that that just scene to die. has to happen yeah yeah i guess um, so that was kind of frustrating that yeah. I feel like the scene still could have happened, but it just seemed like they were like, yeah, you can go. They and... didn't put much thought into yeah. making it fit. No. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know if it was trying to be like a noir or a gangster movie, but it just didn't really succeed at anything. And I do feel like that's because it just came so late in the game for either of their genres yeah so i don't know why they felt the need to make it i guess apparently this was like off of the success of the untouchables tv show uh they were they were trying to sort of cash in on some of that which i 
haven't watched any of the, yeah. the old uh, 50s Untouchables <laughs> show, but uh, apparently... It definitely the, felt like a, lot, a TV show. Yeah, a lot of the stylistic kind. stuff here mm -hmm. was apparently pulled from that. So okay. uh, that might explain some of those uh, issues. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, anything else? Mm, no, I don't think so. No, yeah, okay. It's... it's just yeah it's probably like a b movie yeah you know, the cast isn't no notable enough for me to say really recommend it yeah um, outside of falk like there's not really a reason to watch this to begin with uh yeah and yeah like if it wasn't for this oscar nomination we probably wouldn't be talking about it at all ever yeah. because there's significantly better peter falk things it would just be a weird little footnote early in his career that people that know know that he's good in it and uh it's not that big of a loss if you don't yeah <laughs> uh so let's move on and talk about some oscar stuff the nominees for best performance by an actor in a supporting role are peter falk in murder incorporated jack crucian in the apartment Sal Mineo in Exodus, Peter Ustinov in Spartacus, and Chill Wills in The Alamo. Uh, okay. As far as like precursors or whatever, this really only gets one other notice before the Oscars, which is uh, the Golden Globes. Peter Falk is nominated for Most Promising Newcomer Male. Uh, they have six nominees, three winners. He's not one of those winners. Uh, uh -huh. And these other actors, the other five are maybe nobody i've ever heard of or okay uh you no okay one of these one of these is at least somebody that okay. has an oscar nomination but for what uh of the young philadelphians i guess it the year before this robert vaughn mm. whoever that is okay uh uh sounds familiar he's here for the magnificent seven uh david jansen for hell to eternity uh, and then the three winners are Michael Callan for Because They're Young, Brett Halsey for Desire in the Dust, and Mark Damon for The Fall of the House of Usher. Uh, oh, yeah, I know Mark Damon. Uh, I do, do I know Mark Damon uh, looking at him? Mm -hmm. That is a... It looks kind of like, uh, like a discount Anthony Perkins in at least <laughs> this one picture on his uh, IMDb. Uh, Oh, he's a producer as well. He produced Monster. Uh, that's hmm. interesting. That's something. Um, yeah, uh, I, I I can't say that I know Mark Damon all that much <laughs> other than, uh, no, uh, I guess not. But uh, yeah, that that's I mean, all there is. Definitely not like to the heights that Peter Falk went. Yeah, but... they, they missed their mark on uh, who yeah. would or would not be uh, uh, cashing in on that promise. <laughs> uh but yeah that's the only other thing listed on the imdb awards tab uh okay. for this movie uh and apparently at least according to uh inside oscar peter falk like was really putting himself out there like he was taking out ads uh showing up on like every talk show that would book him uh really just like uh making a name for himself because he had done a little bit of tv stuff and a little bit of theater stuff but he wasn't really a name by any means and so he's putting himself out there and obviously it paid off it gets him this nomination and then the next one in the next year and mm -hmm. then the whole career following that uh sort of off the back of this but uh yeah i, I mean that's probably why he gets the nomination more mm -hmm. so it's not like this is a movie people saw or particularly liked and even in the the articles and reviews of the time that did point him out it's not like this is necessarily so undeniable that they're that it's going above and beyond that they have to nominate it. Uh, mm -hmm. He just uh, he put in the work and gets the nomination, and uh, good for you, Falk. Yeah, I almost wonder if he hadn't done that, if his career would have gone where it did. But I feel like he would have still made it big. Yeah, it was a, it was enough of a of a breakout that I imagine even without the Oscar nomination, he still gets a you know the career boost off of the performance. But like the, the Oscar nomination doesn't hurt. 
yeah. certainly hasn't hurt. I'm not going to say hasn't uh, a little Oscar nomination never hurt nobody because uh, there's there's Oscar curses and and uh, supposed stuff like that. But uh, it's, it, in this case, it it certainly uh, didn't hurt. Uh, yeah. Uh, have you, how, how many of these other supporting actor nominees have you seen? Uh, do you have the list in front of you or? I think I've just seen The Apartment. I watched part of Exodus. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I hadn't even heard of the other two. So yeah, uh, I have not seen Exodus, uh, but I would be interested if just for Salminio, because uh, yeah. I do love me some Salminio. Uh, <laughs> the winner is uh, Peter Ustinov in Spartacus, which is a good performance. Um mm-hmm. It's having like I watched that knowing that he was the winner for it, and it is kind of odd in a way that he's the one that gets singled out because there's not that he's bad, but there's such a sprawling cast of supporting actors in that. Uh, Laurence Olivier, who I may may have run lead, which uh, as as a co lead, but even that you have Charles Lawton and uh, Woody Strode and Tony Curtis. And John Gavin and a lot of other supporting actors. And sometimes it happens where you have a big cast like that and one name ends up getting singled out and sort of stands in for the cast at large. Uh, and that may have helped Ustinov. It also helps that Peter Ustinov is just a good, fun actor and is having fun in that movie and, and brings like a life to it. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's not a not a bad win. Not one I think about all that often, but uh, mm-hmm. uh, it's cool that Peter Ustinov has two Oscars. I prefer his win for Top Cappy, which I've done on this show. But uh, yeah, he's not that he's not bad in Spartacus. Um, Jack Crucian being the nominee for The Apartment is odd because uh, I don't remember much of anything he does in that movie. He's the the like German doctor that lives downstairs that probably does something in the movie i can't remember do you do you have any any thoughts or memory and i love the apartment like i love that movie that's not a performance in that that i necessarily think about at all i didn't even remember his character like i had to google his character and i yeah. couldn't place him so <laughs> I, I think he, i i'm pretty sure he's like he like helps out in the scene where shirley mclean is like taking the pills he okay. like gets called up and helps in that scene. But other than that, I do not remember anything out else about his performance, which is especially astounding when you have Fred McMurray in this movie. Yeah. Who is a Hollywood yeah, mainstay for him. decades. Yeah. He's yeah. very memorable, very good in the movie, never nominated for an Oscar. Really? Yeah. Wow. So strange that this like this would have been a slam dunk, like, hey, we love you, Fred McMurray. Yeah. Here's a nomination or even a win for this movie that is winning Best Picture, mm-hmm. Director, Screenplay. Like, yeah, this re- seems a bit targeted almost. <laughs> yeah, I, I wonder if, I wonder if maybe he was like, like I don't know anything about his personal life. Maybe people didn't. Maybe people just didn't like him, or maybe they did and it just didn't happen. I truly mm-hmm. don't know. It do- it doesn't seem like there's any like <laughs> grandstanding reason for him not to get a nomination here other than it just didn't happen, which happens sometimes. Yeah. Uh, uh, do you have any thoughts on Exodus or Salminio in it in particular? I mean, I didn't finish the movie, so yeah, I don't know how qualified I am to talk about it, but I mean, I mean I more so Salminio, than I am. Yeah. So I obviously feel like he probably deserved it, but I mean, and I think he'd just been nominated for Rebel Without a Cause, like, not too long ago before that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was just kind of like a big ensemble cast, I remember. And he was, that's another like like an officer. I can't remember. (laughs) Why? uh, I'm, I'm looking at the Wikipedia page for this. Yeah. Up until literally just this moment, 
I would have told you that Exodus was also a Swords and Sandals, like Spartacus type movie. And maybe it's just the proximity to Spartacus in this. And then does yeah. Selminio have another Oscar nomination for a Swords and Sandals movie? Is there like a, a, a something like that? Like, I mean, I don't know if he ever was in one. That's so strange. <laughs> Why did I think a Mandela effect? I totally would have told you that Exodus was like a. I guess because Exodus is the name of one of the books of the Bible, and yeah. so I just sort of filled it in in my head of it being like a biblical epic. That's that so sense. weird. <laughs> <laughs> But no, oh. it's like a, a, oh gosh, I can't even remember Wh what it's Wikipedia about. says it's set after World War II, so that's okay. a, huh. Yeah, I don't, I'd have to watch it again, but. <laughs> I think, I think I figured out why I thought that. I looked up yeah. just like on, on Google Images, Salmenio Exodus, and one of the like top pictures that's not a publicity still or like a. Uh, magazine cover he has like a it looks like just sort of like a brown robe like tunic on okay. or whatever or okay. just like 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 very <laughs> baggy outfit or or like collared thing and I guess that's maybe the only image I've ever seen from the movie Exodus <laughs> so I just assumed that that was that that's wild that's uh that makes sense that's that's fun to have captured on mic at least uh, that that revelation. Um, uh, <laughs> and then the other nominee here uh, is Chill Wills in the Alamo, which is like a John Wayne western. Uh, uh, okay. Oh, he's playing Davy Crockett apparently. Uh -huh. um, uh, and the the only thing I having not seen the movie, there is a, a sort of infamous campaigning thing here, which is that Chill Wills like uh, put out like magazine ads or like that were like you know vote for me or don't vote for me uh I i'm just happy to have been considered and i consider everyone in the industry my like you're all my cousins uh oh. like uh i i appreciate and that like and then from there you have some like groucho marx wrote him a telegram or whatever that said uh mr wills i'm i'm happy to be your cousin but i voted for selminio <laughs> <laughs> which is uh, it's, it's a fun little bit of uh for your consideration yeah is, uh, you're all my cousins but uh i haven't seen the movie haven't yeah. seen the performance can't say anything about whether or not he's uh he's good or just mm -hmm. you know got people to vote for him by calling them his cousin so <laughs> uh can't speak to that and yeah uh, yeah i don't know seems like a weird weird kind of supporting actor lineup Mm -hmm. uh, that you don't have like not having Fred McMurray is the biggest head scratcher mm -hmm. out of the bunch uh, that makes it feel like a more weird lineup than it is probably just mm -hmm. because you have such a glaring omission. But I don't have much more to say about it. It was there. interesting to see like Peter Falk and Salminio like going yeah. head to head because like I think of Salminio as being very like 50s and, you know, the that era and you know peter folk is very much not from that era in my mind so yeah it's just like, weird to think of him like coexisting almost yeah like you don't even really think of peter folk being from this era like you know much more like outside of this outside of his two oscar nominations i can't think of anything else i even know that he did in the 60s that's not true he's in um <laughs> He's in the Great Race, right? He's like yeah. Jack Lemmon's second in command in that. Uh, that's a movie that I've started but never finished. It's so, not very good. No. Yeah, my my dad loves it. Uh, I started it. I just never got around to finishing it. Um, uh, he's pro he probably did other things in mm -hmm. the '60s, but I can't really place him in my mind until like Columbo and the yeah. Casavetti stuff. I've seen um the balcony where he had does like this weird Marlon Brando impression. I can see that. Uh, uh, I can see that working. It's, um, yeah, what? I think. And this Elaine May movie, um, Love, also a Jack Lemmon. So well, that's fun. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah it's I, not I do like remember his yeah. best decade. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I do remember liking his uh, uh, interplay with 
lemon in what I remember of mm -hmm. uh, the great race. What other 60s things? Just looking at a letterboxed. He's apparently in It's a Mad, 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 Mad World, which I've okay. seen once a long time ago and remember <laughs> very little about. Uh, he's in uh, Machine Gun McCain, whatever that oh, is. Oh, I've seen that. Yeah, Casavetes. Uh, uh, he plays a uh, uh, guy Gisborne in Robin and the Seven Hoods. Oh, the, yeah. The Rat Pack <laughs> uh, uh, Robin Hood type thing. So that's that's fun. That's a oh, yeah. uh, another gangster role. Yeah. <laughs> something called Pressure Point, uh, credited as Young Psychiatrist. Uh, <laughs> something called Castle Keep. Uh, the Balcony, like you mentioned. Uh, something called Penelope. Uh, yeah, yeah, not really a, not not the most uh, fruitful '60s for him. Yeah. But then you get onto the <laughs> '70s, uh, '80s. Yeah, he's it's, it's a, a sort of a slow burn to becoming the Peter Falk we all know and love. Mm -hmm. But uh, uh, once he gets there, we all do know and love him. So mm -hmm. uh, yeah, can't say it enough how much I, I love Peter Falk. Glad I get to talk about him on Me this too. show even if it's yeah. not a per, uh, movie that's especially great <laughs> well uh, i feel like he's always just like fun to watch like i feel like you can't say that about a lot of actors yeah you know he's gonna turn in a great performance oh and definitely have fun doing it like even in like oh which muppet movie is it it's not the muppet movie is it great muppet caper there's one of those where there, there's a scene where he just like shows up to where to like Kermit is sitting sadly on a bench and oh. Peter Falk just shows up and is like, hey, I got this great, you know, sad, sad story I'm going to tell you about my life. And oh, I, I don't remember the specifics of it, but I do remember that it ends where he's like, oh, well, I made all that up. Hey, you want to buy a watch or, or whatever? And he's just like some huckster that's it's I I. I need to watch that scene again because I remember it being very funny. I like don't remember the specifics of it, but it's, I think it's, it might be Muppets Take Manhattan. It's one of those, it's not okay. the Muppet movie, but it's one of the other two like Henson era Muppet movies. Uh, yeah. But it's a good scene. It's, it's a good little That's fun. Um, uh, but yeah, he's, he's a great act. Princess Bride, small role, but he's so fun. Uh, in all of his scenes, uh, Wings of Desire, he's incredible in uh, Murder by Death again, a movie that has some problematic <laughs> elements that have not aged well, even in the context of why they're there in the movie. But he's really good doing a Bogart like pastiche. Uh, and yeah, I mean, love me some Peter Falk. And uh, uh, at this point, I'm just repeating myself because I have nothing else to fill out this segment with. Like, there, there's none of these other categories that we can even talk about this movie for. So, uh, oh, yeah. Uh, do we want to just move on to closing thoughts here? Sure. All right. <laughs> uh, so, in your fantasy world where you get to pick all of the Oscar nominations, what nominations would you have given to Murder, Inc.? Um... <laughs> I don't know if I would. Well, hmm. yeah, probably none. Yeah. I really I mean... hate to say that because I don't think it was terribly made. It just didn't have like the right budget for the story. Yeah. Uh, or the right perspective or yeah, like enough time to have passed mm -hmm. for it to feel like I don't, like it, it doesn't really feel like there's that much of a retrospective look on any mm -hmm. of this, even if there has been decades that have passed. Uh, it, it just sort of feels like it's presenting everything just sort of face value, very plain. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I would probably at least consider keeping the Falk nomination. Oh, uh, yeah, I, yeah. Yeah. I didn't like look at the year at large to really like hash out what my five supporting actors would be but <laughs> he's good enough and and uh engaging enough uh, of so far past the rest of the movie around him that like yeah it's certainly worth consideration to keep in the running even if 
uh, the movie itself is uh, not great. Which, hey, that's what yeah. this whole podcast is very <laughs> often about, is great performances in not-so-great movies. So that's can't true. fault him for that. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, no, nothing else here. Uh, in which case, I think that'll do it for this episode. Thank you so much for coming back on. Thank you. Uh, do you <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you have uh, anything you want to plug? Anywhere people can find you and your stuff online? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm on Instagram, uh, flick.loving.chick. And I have my own podcast with my friend Louise. And it's called the Gone But Not Forgotten podcast. We talk about actors who died young. And we have talked a lot about Peter Falk on there just by uh, extension, I guess. Um, And yeah, I think that's about it. Yeah, yeah, go check that stuff out. You can find this show on Twitter and Letterboxd at Lone Acting Noms and on Instagram at The Lone Acting Nominees. That'll be it for this episode. Thank you for listening.